You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcast. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows Trio programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former Trio staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with Trio. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we are featuring Brittany Tabor from the University of New Mexico Gallup Trio Upward Bound Program. Brittany is the director of the Trio Upward program and is on the podcast to share with us her experience managing a program, uh, her educational background, and kind of her upbringing. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, think about either contributing a one-time donation via PayPal, we will include our link uh, down below, or you can become a patron via Patreon. Go to Patreon and search for Let's Talk Trio. We have a variety of membership levels. You can start off as a basic member and and stay at that level for a dollar a month, or you can be a monthly contributor to up to $50 a month. We also have ad space for corporate sponsors. So if you own a big or small business and you would like to advertise on the Let's Talk Trio podcast, send us a message and we will sign you up via Patreon. And uh, you being a corporate sponsor, you will have an ad space on this podcast. Again, a great conversation with Brittany, who is the director of the Trio Upward program at the University of New Mexico Gallup. We enjoyed the conversation. Uh, it was a great kind of getting to know the director, getting to know her personal story and her background, some excellent uh, life journeys that that she's been exposed to, and just her overall journey. So coming up in just a bit, Brittany Tabor. All right, I hope you all sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Three, two, one. Hello, Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is the current director of the University of New Mexico Gallup Trio Upward Bound program. She has worked for Trio for nearly 10 years. She identified as a first-generation student and came from a limited-income family. She is a huge music fan, enjoys traveling, and is from the Navajo Nation. Hi, Brittany Tabor from from UNM Gallup. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. 
So we are so happy to have you. This has been an interview a long time in the making. So we appreciate you being on. Yes. Thank you so much for your patience and flexibility. I was really excited um, when you had asked me if I would like to do an episode. So very, very honored to share this space with you today. Likewise, and the honor is all on this end. Um, how are things going with you? How's how's uh, life in Gallup and how, how are you doing? Um, good. Things are good. We've been getting the cool fall weather, so that's always really nice to enjoy as we transition into our new season. And um, yeah, just nice to have the students back on campus and just falling into another semester. So things have been good. Right on. Speaking of being back on campus, last year, UNM Gallup was virtual, right? Yes, we were um, virtual. I would say hybrid, but majority virtual. I think they were sort of um, slowly transitioning back onto campus. And so now you all are being completely on campus. Uh, How's the vibe of the campus? What are you feeling? Um, I think a lot of our students and uh, staff, faculty, we're all, um, I think we were really anxious to kind of get back together. And um, it's been nice, you know, to be able to get onto campus and just see everybody, see uh, colleagues and, um, you know, past students, new students. And so it, it's, it's been good. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of energy on our campus. And I think um, everybody's starting to, uh, plan what's next in this academic year in regards to events and programmings and trying to, for the most part, get back into the rhythm of how things were pre-pandemic. Absolutely. Some of the work that colleges have done to adapt to new virtual settings is to accommodate students with virtual appointments. How did your campus adapt to being in a virtual setting last year? We really utilized um, Zoom that was one of our big um, things to navigate. Zoom. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Zoom, it really was. A lot of our, um, you know, just uh, staff, faculty are kind of old school and <laughs> never really had to utilize Zoom. And, and we're, we're such a small campus that, you know, you could just walk down the hallway and, and see who you needed to see or, you know, just a slight walk across campus. So having to transition to Zoom and figuring out all the functions and um, just all of the Zoom rules was, I think, a little bit challenging. But once we were able to do that, um, it was, you know, pretty easy from there. And and um, also being able to like host like virtual office hours and virtual events, those those types of things um, were really helpful for for our students and also for our staff and faculty. Right on. I think during the time of COVID and the pandemic and being, and having the ability to work from home, a lot of people were experiencing uh, different ways to express themselves, to find their own creativity. What are some things that you learned about yourself during this time, uh, not only being uh, in a virtual space, but uh, also really like getting to know you and getting to know yourself a little bit more? Yeah, I think... Um, being a remote worker strictly from home and and trying to figure out how to still stay connected to my campus and to my to my upper bound program, students, colleagues, all of that, 
in the beginning, of course, it was really difficult. I think everybody was having a tough time just trying to figure it out. And so for a while, it was, you know, very scary and difficult and it felt very isolated and really not knowing what's going on, um, you know, because it, it's one thing to connect to somebody via Zoom or over the phone or however, um, what other platform that we're using virtually. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to um, be able to meet, you know, talk to somebody face to face and see the expressions and the emotions of maybe some of our students are going through that week or maybe they're having an off day or a good day. Mm-hmm. So trying to connect virtually, that was a little bit of a challenge to get used to. And, um, and it was just so limited too, you know, um, because you get that like virtual fatigue sometimes. And oh, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, I felt that a lot and just trying to figure out my work and my life-life balance was mm. really, really hard for me. Um, I'm just a natural workaholic by nature, um, probably because I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, I would just work from as soon as I got up and clocked in all the way like past the end of the work day, you know, so I would be up late, late mm-hmm. when I should be, you know, relaxing or getting dinner or just, you know, taking it easy. I would be trying to figure out like, okay, so what are we going to do for this event and how am I going to get this done? Um, So in the beginning, it was really hard to try to find that balance. And I think it, it took me to the point where I was just so exhausted and just overwhelmed that I just couldn't even do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a lot of um, like just one-to-ones with my boss to kind of help me with that, that, that work balance. Um, But after a while, once I figured that out, it, it was great. I really enjoyed um, working remotely and I felt like I was able to get so much more done <laughs> than being in the office because when you are in the office and you have those one-to-ones with with people, especially if you haven't seen them for so long, you can just talk and I can talk and talk and talk and talk for you know days on end. Um, and so it was nice to be able to like regulate <laughs> my work time and get what I needed to get done. So, um, yeah, it, I, I learned to, to find that balance, um, in my life with work and my life life. And I've also, um, was able to learn how to be creative because there was just so much that you could do virtually. Mm -hmm. So it was always trying to figure out like, what can we do to get students engaged? And it was hard because, students were burnt out. Oh, <laughs> and, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't, I didn't blame them at all. And mm-hmm. so it was trying to figure out how can we keep our students engaged and continue to give them the support that they need as well as, you know, my staff. Um, so it was a lot of think tanking, <laughs> trying to find that creative energy um, in myself and, just trying to keep everybody going. And then I think also recognizing when you just need a break, (laughs) we just need a break. Let's just (laughs) get to what we need to get done and then be over with it. You know? So those are some of the key things that that I learned um, about uh, my role as the upper bound director. And then also just myself, I think um, me time was very um, important for me to learn personally. 
Yeah. Uh, so my next question is, so, so this is an excellent transition to the next question about, and I'm going to morph it a little bit. So what is something that you would recommend to, pro, to a professional, working trio professionals or even college professionals about maintaining a good work-life balance? I think having a plan in place is good um, and understanding what are those key tasks that you're going to work on during work or what are those key things that you want to um, get involved with on your off time. And so, you know, for one during work, you know exactly what you need to work on who you need to meet with, um, what you need to get started. So I think just having a plan in place is really good. Um, and then like planning something or, or getting right. involved in something that keeps you, um, that keeps you motivated and just, um, keeps you connected to the interests that you have because you get that excitement of like, Oh my gosh, when I clock off, I'm going to get to go and watch this movie I've been eyeing on Netflix or I mm -hmm. get to start on my crafts or I'm going to go for a drive and listen to, you know, this new album I've been hoping to, to take some time to listen to, or this new true crime podcast or, you know, something like that, um, right. I think is really important. So I think the key to having a good work life balance is just identify those priority points that need to be taken care of. Um, and um, also, um, honoring your space and staying connected to the things that you enjoy. Um, and above all that, just listening to yourself. Like if you're tired and mm -hmm. you're feeling like that burnout, then to really take note of that, you know, and, and honor yourself and taking the time that you need. Um, I really struggle with that even now sometimes, but I mean, I, I'm definitely a work in progress with that. Um, I have to really acknowledge like I'm feeling really tired or I'm not interested in, in what I'm doing right now. I think I need to take a break and step back. So mm -hmm. that's been really helpful. Um, and I would definitely recommend that to anybody else who kind of struggles with that work-life balance and, and just doing what you can to the best of your ability and, you know, knowing when to say no and stop when you need to is, is really important and embracing all the, all of the interests that, um, yeah. that, that you have. Absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned, uh, you said staying connecting with, uh, with the things that you love. So speaking of that, uh, so we follow each other on person on our personal social media accounts. Um, mm -hmm. and you posted a very enviable summer journey. I'm not gonna lie <laughs> because, uh, most notably you went to a red hot chili peppers concert. Oh, uh, can yeah. you talk to us about that experience? Yeah, definitely. I um, So the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert was like a year in the making. Oh, yeah? <laughs> My, I, yeah, I was very blessed to be able to share that experience with some close friends. And they were the ones who were like, hey, we got these tickets. You're going to come, right? <laughs> and it was just like out of a blue thing. And I thought, what? Oh, my God. Okay, yes, of course, I'm going to be there. So it, that that's what I mean. Like I, it was something that I was looking forward to the whole year. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, just keep going, just keep going. You're going to be out in um, San Diego. You're going to get to see them live. And I have um, like my own um, music concert slash festival bucket list mm. or artist bucket list of people and bands that I like just want to see in my lifetime. And 
Red Hot Chili Peppers, they were definitely on my list and um, was very happy that I was able to go. And it was, it was the best time. Like I sang my heart out (laughs) and just had fun, danced and sang with my friends and just had such a good time. Um, Really enjoyed seeing them live. And what I think I was in, I was so young, (laughs) probably like, I think even pre-middle school when I like discovered Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was Californication was the album that. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, that, that was my first um, introduction to Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then from there it was like trying to find all of the stuff to listen to. But yeah. I would play that thing on repeat, and just it just became a staple of my childhood. <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> thinking about it, and um, and now that I'm older and I can you know listen to it again and and kind of understand more of the meanings behind the songs. It's a little like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was so good. I think my only gripe would be they didn't play Scar Tissue and that oh. was probably like, my favorite song. Yeah. yeah. They, um, yeah, they didn't play that. And I was waiting all night and I was like in shock. Like they didn't play it. Mm-hmm. But um, on their, their social media, they'll release like their set lists for the different cities and, I took a look at the San Diego set list and they didn't have it on there. And I'm like, man, I knew they didn't play it. Cause my friends were like, they did. And I'm like, no, they didn't. Where was I? <laughs> like they did not. So yeah, that, that was a bummer, but um, I think it just motivates me to catch them again. And hopefully I can hear them play that song live, but yeah, yeah. it was amazing. You got to catch the your favorite artist live. I think it's uh, at least a once in a lifetime thing where you, and if you can do it twice, uh, even better. Um, but uh, I think I got introduced to Red Hot Chili Peppers around the same time, around middle school, uh, early yeah. high school. Yeah. And uh, Do- so Dost is my favorite song. That's my, oh, okay. that's, that's my yeah. favorite one. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's a good one too. Absolutely. So yeah. For you, what are you? What are the other things that you like to do outside of work? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very DIY type of person. I really oh. like getting my hands on different projects. Um, more so, I like doing like home decor things. Um, during last summer or like during pandemic type time or the I'm sorry the um, quarantine time, I was just trying I was so obsessed with like home renovation (laughs) and so (laughs) I was just very like learning how to use all the power tools and all of that and I and I don't have my own home on my own right now like that's my that's my bigger goal but like my parents were doing like renovations and stuff and I was like how can I help let me research what you got to do so I like doing DIY home renovation home decor type DIY stuff um not very artsy in terms of like paintings or drawings, but in terms of creating and putting pieces together, I think I'm really good at that. Um, I have like a side hustle where I, um, I'm a huge Disney nerd too. I'm an adult Disney nerd. (laughs) Yeah. So I love Disney. I was definitely a Disney kid. So I, I make, um, custom Mickey mouse ears. Nice. It's something that I do. Yeah. So I started that in the start of the pandemic too. So really enjoyed that. And the ears that I make have um, their, uh, how can I explain this? Um, They have like indigenous, uh, they're like indigenous undertones. So 
like in, so I'm Navajo. So in our culture, we, um, utilize like Pendleton, like Pendleton blankets a lot. So mm-hmm. some of my ears will be made out of Pendleton, um, or turquoise or, you know, just, um, some of our indigenous, um, staples that we use. So I try to make our, make the Disney ears that I make resemble, um, my indigenous culture. So that's always really fun to make. And also just, you know, doing the classic Disney things. Um, I'm actually working on a, um, a pair for the nightmare before Christmas pair for a friend Ooh. of mine right now. Yeah. Cause she's going, I think next week to the park. And so right now they're doing the Halloween um, theme celebration. So I'm going to make her that pair. So that gives me a chance to be very creative as well. So I do that for sure. Um, I love off-roading. I have a Jeep Wrangler that I just really love to explore mm-hmm. the outdoors. And so that's always fun to do and hiking, um, spending time with family, traveling when I can. So I, I really try to stay busy when I'm not at work. Um, yeah, try to stay busy, stay creative, always yeah. exploring, always learning. Yeah. So love that you're uh, spending time with family and all that, but uh, so you currently serve as the director of the Tree Oprah Bound program. So your summers must be hectic. They are. <laughs> they are every upward bound person. When you hear summers, it's like, don't talk to me about summer because I don't have a summer. <laughs> yeah. Always have, I just think all year around for us is hectic because yeah. when we're not in summer, we're planning for the summer. And mm-hmm. plus we're doing the um, the regular their regular um, programming for the academic year. So, but yeah, summer is hectic because <laughs> we um, have our, our summer program. So totally relate. Uh, I know you juggle time with students. You have to do your administrative work and your personal time. So how do you do all that? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you keep that all in balance? Um, by a thread. Yeah. Just like I said, I, I try my best to plan um, I, oh, like my, my perfect world, I would be so organized and have a detailed plan that's color coded and just beautiful, you know, but unfortunately that is not always the case with me. Um, but I, I've learned in this position, planning is very important. And if you can, um, you know, get ahead of the game, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. start getting things prepared a couple of months in advance. That's really helpful. When I first started, I was just doing it by, I would just hit the ground running and just trying to get it done. And I would be always chasing the sun and it was really exhausting doing that. So, um, I finally was able to catch a little break and have some time to plan ahead. And it's been so much easier. So planning definitely is is very helpful and also um like just connect like connecting and networking is really Mm -hmm. important too um is something that i've found to be really useful when working with upward bound because there's just always there's always an opportunity to learn and to teach and there's so many people that you can connect with that have like a skill or a craft or an idea that that can help and so I I always try to hone in on that and really um and really network and see who can help with creating a a memorable summer for for our students because Mm -hmm. 
It's a six-week program, and we see them every single day, Monday through Friday. Uh, if we do traveling, sometimes it's over the weekend too. So we're always together, and I just always want to. I always want our students to have a good time, and I want them to have an opportunity to really learn and, um, and enjoy themselves in the summer. Because honestly, like, why would you want to go to school during the summer? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. So <laughs> you, you just you want to make it fun, and you just want to make it something that they'll always remember, you know, so. Right on. Do you get any time off after the summer program is over or are you preparing for the upcoming school year at that point? Uh, you, yeah. you alluded a little bit <laughs> to that. So yeah, talk, 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 talk to us about that. Then. Okay. Yeah. So we get done um, for, let's see, we, our program is usually June, the beginning of June, the first week of June into like this second, almost third week in July. And then we have rest of July and August. Um, so we've had two summers where that was our schedule. And then we had to start a little bit later. So we actually would um, we actually would start in July and go into August. And so that kind of was rough too, the turnaround time. But either or, either way, <laughs> it's still <laughs> a little challenging. Um, definitely planning you know the academic year so as soon as we get done with the summer it's trying to close out the summer and um get that all tied up and then like right away transition into the academic year and start planning for our fall semester um so there's really not a lot of time like for me um so this summer i was definitely like I need a break I need it I need I need mm -hmm. I need my break so I even though I shouldn't I probably shouldn't it probably wasn't wise to take as much time as I did I did it because I, I needed it so I did take my break um did what I need to do but I came back and again it was like hit the ground running with planning and so so far it's it's worked out I just had to work a little bit harder but um I, I don't know. I guess it just depends on your your situation at that point. Um, some programs have all of their positions filled and support staff. With our program, it's just myself and an advisor. So it's just the two-man team right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I really can't afford to, to, to take a lot of time. But like I said, when you know you need it, you just have to take it. So I was able to do that and it still worked out, which is great. So very busy for sure. Um, there's just a little room, <laughs> little room to, 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 to catch your breath and get right back into it. Yeah. Wow. So the summer experience was certainly different in 2021 compared to 2022. What were some of the things that you took away uh, or lessons that you learned uh, from those two experiences? Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Summer 2021, we were virtual. Um, and then just this past summer, we were, uh, fully in person, which was good. So by 20, summer 2021, that was, I believe our second, second summer mm -hmm. that we were doing a virtual summer. So it was nice because at that point I already knew <laughs> like what to expect and what to prepare for. So that was nice. But again, it was just trying to be creative, always honing in and tapping in on, on that creativity and how to keep the students engaged. Um, and for 2022, it was just kind of up 
unwrapping that again and figuring out how can we um, be safe, of course, be right. safe, but get get back out there. You know, we um, have been able to provide traveling opportunities for our students, and that's one of our big our big things that students really enjoy about our program. And in summer 2021, we weren't able to do that. So it was a little bit harder, you know, to keep them engaged and keep them entertained. Um, And then in 2022, it was our first summer transitioning back on campus. So trying to make sure we're following all the protocols, the COVID uh, um, precautionary protocols, as well as making sure everybody's good and comfortable and um, having fun. Unfortunately, we didn't get to do uh, like our huge summer um, trip that we usually do. Uh, But we we did have some travel opportunities within our local regional area. So we took our students to New Mexico Highlands University uh, up in Las Vegas. And our program hadn't been there before. So it was really cool to see their campus. The students got to see another um, educational opportunity in New Mexico because they're so used to either looking at UNM or NMSU. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to go out to their campus and connect with the um, campus representatives there and see what their layout's like. And so that was cool. And then we took the students to NAU and um, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff and got to tour their campus, meet with the uh, Office of Indigenous um, Student Support. So that was fun too. And then the third trip we were supposed to take was to a local um, tribal college near us, mm-hmm. Navajo Technical University, but they had to cancel because they had high COVID rates that were oh, coming oh up. No. So yeah, so we just have to be a little bit more um cautious with um that trip but at the end of the end of the day they ended up canceling so hopefully we can go and visit there too so in my mind I was thinking it was a good mix of the different campuses in our area to kind of compare and contrast Mm -hmm. so we got to do that instead but I'm hoping this coming summer we'll get to get back on track and see some of the larger campuses and get to be in the larger cities because <laughs> there's always so much to do in those areas compared to our little old gal up here. <laughs> Definitely, right? Anytime we can provide that opportunity for students to travel up, it's it's always great. Mm-hmm. So we're going to rewind it back a little bit, Brittany. We're going to dive a little bit into your childhood to get a sense of who you, who you were, who you are, and right, uh, who you developed into uh, as a person. <laughs> as the director for the Upper Bound Program at UNM Gallup. Uh, what were you like growing up? Uh, what fascinated you most as a child? Wow. Um, let's see. Baby Brittany. Um, I was I was the big tomboy for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. that. Big tomboy. I really enjoyed um, sports and I grew up with nothing but cousin brothers so I had a lot of male cousins and we all lived next to each other so when we would have our you know time from school we were always out doing something whether it was you know playing football basketball 
we used to um, play like war. I remember (laughs) we would ride our bikes and we would, um, we we would call them huts, like playhouses or tree houses. We would like make our own because I I grew up in like a mountain town. Mm -hmm. So we, we, our big, our backyard was huge. Like we had, you know, just pinion trees everywhere and there was canyons and things of that sort on the Napa Nation. So, um, yeah, there was just so much that we would do. I remember during the summers and I remember, um, being really big into, um, professional wrestling, wrestling, (laughs) WWE, WWF. (laughs) Yeah. So we would like play fights and stuff. And I remember like my parents would order like pay-per-view sometimes and they would come over. So very big tomboy, um, love playing like basketball, football, things of that. Um, but at the same time, I think I've always, I'm also would love to play with like dolls and I would have tons of Barbies. Like, oh my gosh, everybody would make fun of me and my family because I had so many Barbies and clothes and I had, you know, the doll houses and vehicles and all of that stuff. So when I would like be like, I'm done, I'm done playing with the guys. Like I'm going to go back, retreat home. And I would just be in my room for hours, like playing with dolls. So, um, yeah, I was really into that when I was younger. Um, very, I'm the oldest of my family, so I was always like the caretaker too. I think I would always babysit my younger brothers, and then had a, my youngest sister come a couple years later. Um, but always like the caretaker too, and always loved exploring. Love, like I said, Disney. I was a big Disney person. Um, loved all the classic Disney classics for like a '90s kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just. I want to say like your typical res kid, but there's probably listeners who don't know what that means. <laughs> um, but if you do know what a typical res kid is, that's what I was. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed doing all that. And then when I got a little bit older and was um, maybe like middle school age, I really got involved in volleyball and basketball and that basically was my life when I was younger. I <laughs> did like club volleyball all year round, basketball season all year round. So I was always active. I was always um, in a tournament somewhere, always at practice, running alongside the road somewhere, mm-hmm. um, just very involved with sports. And um, around maybe middle school was a time when like the WNBA came about. And I just remember being so like, determined and like I'm gonna play in the WNBA (laughs) that was my goal (laughs) and yeah I was just very passionate about basketball and volleyball and also was like I'm gonna play for the women's volleyball Olympic team just very involved like I Mm -hmm. think back sometimes like wow I that's all I knew and all that I did but coming from a small town sometimes like sports is all that you have and Mm -hmm. you know they they kind of joke sometimes about like that hometown glory and every kid wants to be like that star, right. On your oh, team. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. Yeah. So that was like my mentality in middle school, high school. Um, yeah. And I, I think I did pretty well for myself. Um, high school, I still really continued with sports and my academics were there too. Um, and I was just so thankful because being involved with sports and, 
learning so much through, um, you know, being an athlete really helped me with, with who I am today, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also really allowed me to travel. Like I mentioned, being a, a, a res kid, <laughs> you don't really get to travel and you don't get to go too far outside of the res and being a part of a basketball club or volleyball club, I was really able to um, travel outside of the state and outside of the region. Um, I did golf in high school. So that was really cool too, because it was just something so new. Um, But I really enjoyed that as well. So yeah, just always trying to be active and, and very competitive. I'm a very competitive person. Um, tone that down a lot, but sometimes it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, that kind of sums up who I was. I was just very, um, very competitive. I think I get that because I grew up with my brothers and um, always wanting to be like that girl, you know, like, oh yeah, that's the girl that can beat up all the boys. And <laughs> she, she can do it better, you know, than all yeah. the boys. And so it's always not that mentality and always yeah, just try to be the best that I can be and, um, learned a lot, learned a lot through sports and everything else. Right on. Uh, so when you started school, was academics something that you were immediately drawn to, or did it take some time to kind of get into academics? I would say so. I would say I always have had a love for learning and, um, like writing and I would say history, English and history were probably like my stronger suits when I was younger. Um, math and science had been challenging, math more so. I was really interested in science, but um, math <laughs> was like that killer subject <laughs> for me. And I wish I like, I wish I was a math, math person. I wish my brain understood that easily, but um, definitely more of a writer, um, more of a history person, love science too. But growing up, it was just always fun to learn and, and to, um, see what I could do as a student, you know, like the grade and star system that was horrible for me because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was always like, I want to get a golden star, you know, I yeah. want to. I want to get the good grades and then they incorporate like the honor roll. And it's always like, I need to be on the honor roll. So that competitive nature, I think in me too. So I think I've always been into academics and it's always been something that's been important to me. And growing up, I just kind of always saw it as like, I just need to be the best that I can be Mm -hmm. and do the best that I can do. Um, but now that I'm older, I, I really appreciate it because it's allowed me to, to be a critical thinker and to read what I need to read. And, and it's given me those, those skills that I maybe wasn't really aware of when I was younger, but as an adult now, I, I truly appreciate that and understand now that you learn forever. <laughs> You're forever right. learning, you're a lifelong learner. And I really embrace that. I, I love that I'm um, a lifelong learner. And I encourage that in my students and, and in my family too. So any opportunity I get, whether it's, you know, listening to a podcast about a subject or watching a documentary or going to museum or anything along those sorts, I'm always in, I'm always excited for. Very cool. Uh, can you talk to us about your family kind of growing up? I know you touched a little bit on it, 
but tell us what was that like? What was that experience of of growing up around brothers and and uh, having to have wrestling as one of your favorite things? <laughs> yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I'm the oldest. I was my my um, parents' oldest child, my grandparents' oldest grandchild. Mm-hmm. So I was the first. I was the first. And for a short time, I was the baby of the whole family and had all the attention. It was amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, you know, quickly after I was able to get siblings and I think that natural caretaker role really kicked in with me and very, um, very protective over my younger siblings. I have two brothers and a, a younger sister. So it's not too big of a family, but um, we're, we're, we're all very close. And I was raised by my mom and my dad and they were young parents <laughs> for sure. My mom mm-hmm. had me when she was like 20. So um, she was just a kid, you know, just a kid. She had started college and had to stop out because she had me um, and then shortly after she met my stepfather, who is, I consider he's m- my father shortly mm-hmm. after. And he raised me, he raised me and they really started from humble beginnings. My mom was an operator uh, for a telephone company. Um, and now she's um, one of the directors or like the managers of the company. So she really moved her way up and she's worked there for 30 years <laughs> or wow. so. Yeah. And my dad, he started out as a security guard and worked his way up to being um, the director slash manager for the executive um, protection team for the Navajo Nation president and vice president. So they've, I've seen them from starting off as kids, you know, and working their way up to where they are now. And um, it's really been a blessing to 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 see that and to really um, be a part of that um, that experience with them. Uh, since my parents were young and they were working and trying to just make ends meet, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And um, I, yeah, my my grandmother and my grandfather raised me. I was with them all the time. They would take me to. Um, you know, run errands, um, get things done. So I was always by my grandma's side. And um, my grandfather, he was, um, he worked with the Indian Health Services as a community health worker. And it was just always cool, you know, to see him out and about, like he connected with so many people and so many people knew him. So always being around him, I would get to know people. And so even to this day, they'd say, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you know, you're, your um, Hank Wanika's granddaughter, look at you. Like, what do you, I remember when you were so little. So being able to build a community through them was really important to me. And that was really cool. Um, so yeah, always with my grandparents. And, um, and then when I got a little bit older, when I was involved in sports, um, my mom and dad were so supportive and they were right there taking me to practices and tournaments and Mm -hmm. that really allowed us to travel as a family. So that was really cool um, to do too. So I um, have, yeah, my mom, my dad, I have um, my brothers, my sister, my, um, my grandparents, and I have an aunt and an uncle. 
So we're a pretty small family, you know, small extended family. But when I say my family, it includes all of them. So um, we're all really close and just always try our best to support one another. And they've all been really supportive of me and encouraging of me through my education and also through my sports and just with whatever endeavor I do. Um, so I'm always very proud of that. And um, everybody, my uncle in our family is the only one who has really, I think he was the trailblazer for me. He led the way mm. in terms of education. So he he um, took some time to get his bachelor's degree, but so he went to different colleges for sure. He was at this college and then he'd go to this college and that college. So I always knew my uncle was in college. <laughs> like I didn't understand the process of like, oh, four years for a bachelor. Um, it did take him a while, but you know, he got it done and then he started working on his master's degree. And so he really shed light on what that educational journey looks like. Um, and and um, what you need to do to work toward it. So he helped frame that for me. Um, but everybody else in my family, you know, they've um, have had like high school education. Um, so it, it is important. They, they tell me all the time it is important that we're able to continue our education. Right now. Uh, for many first generation students and their parents, their experience with education can be very unnerving. Uh, what experience, if any, did you and your parents have with education? Um, so let's see. Like I mentioned, uh, my dad has a high school um, education and my mom, she went on to start, I believe it was like her second year of college. And then she... Um, was she was expecting me and then from then on I was just her priority so she never really got to follow through with that and um that kind of set the stage for like the expectations for myself <laughs> mm -hmm. and for some of my um siblings I was like hey you know you need to figure out what you want to do and go to school and honestly like when I was younger I always thought like everyone had to go to college for some reason I thought like mm. that's just what you did I didn't know it was like a choice I didn't know about cost or anything like that all of the challenges that come in place with that I was just very naive as a kid thinking like you have to go to college you have to do that that's just what you got to do and so when I got closer to the time where I had to go then, you know, all of those themes of being a first generation kid started to poke out of not really knowing, like, how to even start, <laughs> mm -hmm. what colleges to look into, how to understand what financial aid means, um, how to do your FAFSA, like, all of those things were just so um, foreign. And it was hard mm -hmm. to navigate my family. I think they tried the best that they could. My mom was very vital um, and very active with just trying to help me in any way that she was able to. Um, but for the most part, I think I really relied on friends, honestly. Um, so I, I just think in my case, education has just always been something like, hey, I didn't get to do it. So I want you to to go and try and do it. And so I've always known that was something I needed to do. And 
just any way that they were able to support me, they they were able to. So I'm always so thankful for that. Right on, right on. Uh, so in middle school, for a lot of students, sometimes it's a very stressful time, uh, especially being preteen teens. What was your experience like in middle school? Middle school, wow. I I went to a very very tiny private middle school, <laughs> mm. and yeah, it, I think I only had maybe like eight students in my class from like sixth grade until graduation. Um, well, promotion. And so it was nice because it, we were together since preschool, basically, or kindergarten, and we made our way through our schooling. And so middle school, it was just, we, we just, it was just like family. We all knew each other. Um, the school was so small that it was, I don't know, it just felt comfortable. It was very comfortable. It was very, um, what's the word? Um, I want to say it was like routine, but it was just so familiar. Like you just knew what to expect every year. Right. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just had, had us in this routine of like, this is what you do when you become a sixth grader and a seventh grader and eighth grader. So I was very, I, I think I was very sheltered and in, in, in a bubble when I was in middle school. And, um, so trying to figure out what I was going to do for high school was very stressful for me because I was just so used to being with the same people, you know, all that time and, and, um, having that really intimate learning space to know that, okay, I'm going to go to high school. That's going to be way bigger, way, so many more students. I don't know any of these teachers. So it was a little stressful at that time for me, but in middle school, it was, it was fun. It was just like, you got to see your friends every day. Right on. Uh, granted, like they tried to have sports, but it was just too small of a school. <laughs> and <laughs> that was the time where I was really heavy into sports because I was playing club, like club basketball, club volleyball. So mm-hmm. I would do that after school and then I would come to school and then they would try to put together a team, but it was just it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> when you think of like the team that our little middle school had, like we would play these other small schools and it was just bad. Um, but anywho, yeah, it, it, it was good. It was a comfortable time. So we get a sense of uh, things that you want to, that you definitely want to be involved in a lot of club sports and all that. So uh, heading into high school, students are expected to be involved and have like like a list of colleges already. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your high school experience like? And did it mirror some of that? Yep. So high school. um, So I ended up going to Winderock High School. And the whole reason why I went to Winderock High School basically was for sports. (laughs) Like I said, around that time, that's all I, I just lived and breathed sports. I was that kid who just okay, I got to get through my school day and then I get to go to practice and do all that. So when I was in high school, I just needed to make sure that like I was passing my classes and making it to my practices so I could play. So honestly, that's all that I really had in mind. Um, And then when I started to get a little bit more comfortable at that high school, because I was terrified to go to Winterock High School. <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> I was like from this, coming from this little bubble, this little private school bubble to this huge high school. Like in my mind, it was a huge high school. Um, 
and just, I don't know, just being around other students that I, different personalities, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. So scared, but sports is really what helped me like keep me, <laughs> keep me going. So once yeah. I got there and kind of got the lay of the land and got to see what opportunities were available for me there in regards to like student um, student activities, I got involved like for sure. Like once I started to network and meet other students, especially like through my teammates, um, I was always the youngest on the team. So I really got to network with like the older students and I would get them, I would see what they would do in their um, clubs. Like they'd be a part of like student council or the prom committee or yearbook or band or things like that. And I was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I want to get involved in that too. So, um, just tried to do all the things, get involved as much as I could. And I really did. I think sophomore year, I was, that was the start of everything. I was part of yearbook, national honor society. Um, uh, at one point I think I was part of prom committee, homecoming float committee, like all these committees. I was always busy And it was nice, again, going back to being like that res kid. (laughs) There's not that much to do on the res, you know, like a small town, there's not that much to do. So I really made um, being active in my high school part of like my world and my life. Like I just wanted to Mm -hmm. be so involved and um, it was good. I I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, met a lot of people. And it was nice because I could put all of that on my resume (laughs) later on is what I found out. So being involved really helped me in a lot of areas and it, it gave me opportunities. I don't think I would have if I didn't get involved. Gotcha. Um, did you already have a list of colleges that you wanted to attend? No, <laughs> <laughs> I did I did not. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, like I said, I was just so involved in sports and like my extracurriculars that I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I thought like, my senior year, I would meet with my counselor and they would say, these are the colleges you could apply for. And I would say, cool, let's apply for them. And then I would apply to them. And then I was in college, you know? So I didn't have a plan at all. My high school didn't have any college readiness classes, anything. Mm -hmm. If I, if I got a touch of that, it was because maybe a teacher had went out of their way to put that into their um curriculum but other than that it was it was just kind of I don't know like on your own or I would have friends who were maybe their families were a little bit more proactive with um with the whole college conversation that I was able to um talk to them about it and they would tell me like oh yeah I'm applying here or there um I think my experience again was just solely based on sports. <laughs> it was gotcha. like this college has a good sports team, so I think I might apply there. <laughs> and at that time, everybody either went to ASU, Arizona State University, University of Arizona, um, or UNM, University of New Mexico. Like those mm-hmm. were the three big ones. And mainly, everybody just went. We would say the Valley, or we would go down to the Valley, which is Phoenix. And that kind of was just the thing, you know, everybody would go down there. And, um, but I just never had like, I kind of thought like, yeah, that's probably, probably where I would end up maybe, but I didn't have like a desire to go there. I think I was just coasting. 
So sadly, no, I didn't have a list of colleges that I wanted to go to. Um, I think later on in my senior year was when I would start to get letters from different colleges. And I remember the University of Washington in St. Louis, they they were the ones who send me so much mail. Wow. And I'd be like, what is this, you know, yeah. mail again? Not probably even knowing where St. Louis was. <laughs> I think I just kind of knew what St. Louis was because of um, the rapper Nelly, because I knew that's where he was from. <laughs> it was like the St. Louis Arch. So I thought, oh, okay, but I didn't know it was like in Missouri or anything like that. Um, but I would get like the mailers and stuff. I would, wouldn't really read through it. But I think I just always thought like, there's no way I could go there. I I can't just live in St. Louis. That's crazy. So um, I think what made sense to me at that point was I'm either going to end up at UNM, ASU, or U of A because mm-hmm. that's where everybody goes. So I didn't empower myself or I didn't give myself that opportunity to see what I could have done. And I mm-hmm. think um, I was able to take like honors courses too. We didn't have any AP, I don't believe at the time when I was there at my high school, but we had honors courses. And so I know um, my honor instructors, my honors, honor teachers, especially my English teachers were always like pushing Ivy League. Like, oh, you should apply for Dartmouth or you should apply for Yale or, or Harvard. And I wasn't really confident in myself either. I thought, I don't think I could make it <laughs> mm. out there. You know, I don't think I could do that. But they would just say apply, apply to it. But I didn't know how. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about deadlines or anything like that. So I just, I think the fear that I'm not good enough to be there, so I just didn't do it. I went back to again, like everybody goes to U of A, ASU, UNM, and then that was that. You know. So long story short, I did not have a list of colleges <laughs> that I applied to. What <laughs> was there any part in the, in your high school career where you decided like, okay, I need to hone in on what colleges I should be applying to? Yeah, spring semester of my senior year. <laughs> <laughs> like the very last hour. It was like, oh yeah, I need to apply. I need to apply somewhere. <laughs> It was so bad. Yeah, it was bad. I was like the definition of the worst student um, in regards to getting ready to apply for colleges. And I tell my students that all the time. I'm like, you need to have where you think you may want to go like your sophomore, junior year. And then by the time you're a senior, you know exactly where you're going to plan. So I think that's why I'm so passionate about my program is because my experience, it was just... I just really, I didn't empower myself and I really didn't, I didn't stand up for myself and I didn't know I was not standing up for myself. So mm-hmm. it's always important that I tell my students to advocate, be their own advocate. I say, advocate for yourself. Um, you make the decisions because it's your life. It's your experiences. Like, yes, mom and dad are there, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, they're there, but you're the one who's going to be going to classes. You're the one that's going to be on the campus. You know, it's your your degree. Not You're not going to give it off to mom and dad. It's your degree. So my senior year, yeah, spring semester, probably end of fall into spring semester was when I was finally like feeling that, the, the, the heat in the pot, like, oh my gosh, this is boiling. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And um, 
just knew I didn't want to be ASU or U of A. Kind of, I didn't want to be in Albuquerque. I didn't want to go to UNM. Was not going to go to two year because I just, I don't know. There was just like at that time, there was a negative connotation with like a community college. Um, so I just thought, no, I don't want to go to a community college. Mm-hmm. And the, the sad thing too about that is I, I received offers to play volleyball, to play volleyball um, at some of the community colleges. And I turned it down because I was like, I don't want to go to community college. And when I think back on it now, I'm like, man, I could have still like been playing volleyball and who knows what that would have come out of. It was a cheaper option. Like I didn't know about all that, you know? So I decided on going to Northern Arizona University um, in Flagstaff, Arizona, because Mm -hmm. I thought, well, it's not too far. And that was the thing too. It's not too far away from home, um, but it's not too close to home. And um, nobody was really going there from my school. So I just thought, okay, that would be kind of a good place to go. And they were the first university that I saw had a Native American student services and so I thought like, oh, wow, they have like a Native American student services. So I would get connected with like other Navajos and other Natives. So that was really com- comforting for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. At the time, it just made sense. So I applied and that was, the, that was one of the only schools that I had applied to because the other ones, I think I did it too late. Um, and that was the only one where it just lined up. <laughs> yeah. So it, um, I was accepted and I just went with it because I needed to be somewhere. Um, and it kind of just turned into like the perfect situation. I really loved Flagstaff and really loved NAU and it was just a really great experience for me. And that's where I really, really, really grew. And, um, I think that's what started my journey, um, on the track that I'm that I'm at right now. So wow, awesome. It just all worked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so talk to us a little about your your parents' reaction uh, and uh, because uh you you've kind of covered a lot of like your your decision into attending college. I'm not going to re-ask some of these questions. So I'm going to just really your reactions to your parents and how, what when you said this is where I want to go. What mm-hmm. what did they say? What was some of the feedback? Um I th- I think ultimately they were happy because again, it wasn't too far away. (laughs) Um, That was, that came down, I think, to the, to the distance. Um, Originally, I I didn't talk about this prior, but what I really wanted to do was I wanted to go to um, Fordham University. Actually, I I forgot to mention this. I'm in New York. I wanted to go to Fordham University, New York. I wanted to um study journalism there and that was how I decided my major too was because the teacher was like you're really good at writing you should do journalism <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> so um after I kind of said yeah I want to do journalism I got um Fordham University on t- contact with me about applying and I thought yeah that's what I'm gonna do that's where I'm gonna go I've always wanted to visit New York um but that didn't play out and I think at the time when I was really excited about it my mom was like New York City, like New York. I don't know. I don't know about that. City's um, overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, no, 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 no. And again, being naive and not thinking about costs and the reality of how to get there and stay there um, was 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 a huge thing, especially in that short amount of time. So when it came down to like, I'm going to go to NAU, um, 
I think they were happy about it because again, it was only like a uh two three hour two and a half three hour um drive from from where I grew up and I had an aunt who lived there too so I had family there um so they were okay with it they they were good um I remember when they all checked me in and got me all situated in my dorm they were like so sad leaving me but of course you know I was like I'm their first kid that's their first time experiencing that with me. So, um, but I would go home like every weekend <laughs> my freshman year. Cause I, I had a car thankfully. And so I would drive home every weekend. I'd have all my laundry in the back seat and take it home. And my mom would be so happy to do my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so now this, uh, this transition into college, what did you do to prepare for college? Um, like when I was in high school? Yeah. Mm, well, as you, as the gist of the conversation so far, I really didn't do much. Um, but when I, <laughs> but when I knew, I know it sounds so, this is horrible. You're like, don't, we're not going to play this, this episode. <laughs> we're going to play it in its entirety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, when, when I knew, okay. So when I was, when I was in high senior, senior years, when everything was like, okay, you're at the end of the line, you need to figure it out. Um, my senior year, I knew like, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go. Um, I would keep hearing like, oh, what's your major going to be? What's your major? I didn't know what that meant. And so my theater, my theater teacher was talking to me about that. And I had no idea. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm like, I don't even know what I want to do for a career. I was so lost in all of that. Because of course I wanted to play in the WNBA <laughs> and that's all I need. Right. Um, and so I didn't really have like a career track or field that I was wanting to pursue. Um, I meet with some kids now and they're like, yeah, I want to be a, a nurse or a doctor or teacher or engineer. Like they already know. And I didn't have that. I didn't had no idea what I wanted to be. And it was through that conversation with my theater teacher that she, um, she had told me, my English teacher too, had told me like, you're really good at writing. You should consider doing something in writing. And I just kind of thought like, okay, yeah, I do like writing. I would journal a lot. Um, but I thought, but how do you make money writing? <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't want to write a book. I would think that like, I don't want to write a book or I don't want to like, it just felt so overwhelming. Like how am I going to be like a writer? I don't know. And so then she was talking to me about journalism. Oh, that's what she, that's what it was. She was like, "You should consider journalism. You you have like a, a like a um like a news lady type face for journalism." <laughs> so she <would> tell me. <laughs> So she was like, "You can be on the news. Be a journalist." Yeah. Um, and I just thought like a journalist. <laughs> so I started researching what a journalist was because I didn't know either. And so they, they, they did, they wrote and you could do all sorts of things in journalism, but I think that writing component, cause I knew I was good at it. I really clung to it. So I thought, okay, I want to be a writer. I want to be a reporter or um, a journalist and write for a magazine. Cause I was so into magazines too. At that time, I would read like 17 magazine. I would read like sports illustrated um, so I thought maybe I'll be a sports writer. That's what I want to do. That's how I can Ooh, yeah. pair. Yeah. I could pair 
my love for um, sports and my ability to write. I wanted to be a sports writer. And then I was really into fashion too at that time. <laughs> Good old early 2000 fashion. So I thought like, okay, maybe I'll be a, a fashion writer too. And if I go to New York, then, oh my gosh, I can go to all of this. So my mind was just running. So I just decided like, okay, I'm going to do journalism. That's what I want to do. And I just would click off like all the journalism boxes where it was like, what's your areas of interest? Mm. And that's what I submitted. So I went to NAU. That was like some of the questions I had. I'm like, okay, I want to do journalism. And they would tell me about their school of communication and what you could do with journalism. So I thought, oh, cool. That that matches what I want to do. Like, yeah, I just want to go. So once I figured out my major, um, I felt pretty confident. Um, and then the next thing was like financial aid. And I had to do my FAFSA. I know I did it late. <laughs> I think I did it pretty late. And that was like a hassle trying to figure out like, what tax forms my mom needed and she was frustrated and I was frustrated. And at that time it was, a, I think it was a little bit more difficult to complete your FAFSA compared to now. So that was a little challenging and overwhelming. Um, I remember like what made sense to me was to keep like a binder or like a portfolio and just stick all of my important documents in there. So I knew not to, to lose it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really helpful. So I did that and kind of preparing. Um, and then I remember like, once I decided I'm going to go to NAU, any letter that they sent me, I would read it. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know and I would freak out, like I'm going to miss information. So I'd read the information um, and kind of understand what was going on had to do orientation. Like that was a weird thing too. Um, so I didn't stay there because I think it would, it would cost a little bit more to stay on campus for orientation. And my mom was like, I don't want to pay that. That's too expensive. So we actually would go there for the day, do orientation, and then we would leave. We'd go back home to the res and then we get really early again and then get back into Flagstaff and do the second day. So the other kids, they got to do all the fun overnight stuff, you know, like the team building and all of that. And so the next day they would have these conversations that I had no idea about because I wasn't there. So I always kind of think of that as like a first gen thing too, like, or like a low income thing. Like you can't afford to be a part of that, you know, so you kind of miss out on those connections. Um, so I would read over everything from UNA. I'm sorry for, for NAU. Um, did orientation, was trying to figure out like what classes I needed and just let my advisor tell me what to take. <laughs> so that was like my first, it just seemed overwhelming everything at first. Yeah. So, um, and I think the other component of preparing my senior year were scholarships too. Thankfully, I received a good amount of scholarship and I was just applying like I, I think I was meeting those deadlines. Like the day that it was supposed to be postmark, I was like doing my last minute stuff to get everything in. Um, so I was able to get a couple of the scholarships, which was nice on top of my Pell Grant. Didn't have to take out loans for my undergrad and majority of my costs were all covered. So I don't know how for the good grace of the creator, like everything worked out the way it needed to. <laughs> That's wonderful, so yeah. Yeah, I hustled a little bit more, but it worked out. Um, so that's why it's just always so important to me that I tell my students, like, 
the sooner the better, the sooner the better, like let us sit down, like let's do it today. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what I did in high school to kind of get prepared was just figuring out deadline dates, what I needed to get done. Um, and yeah, planning out my list, had my binder, would put all the important stuff in my binder if I needed it. Cause they tended to say, we need your resume. We need your birth certificate. We need this. We need your CA, your certificate of Indian blood. So I was constantly going to my, my, my binder tees, my documents. So that was really helpful. Wow. Right on. So you, you already alluded a little bit to your first semester uh, in college and, and all the things that you did to prepare. Um, did you follow through with the journalism degree? I did. <laughs> I went to the school of uh, communication um, and journalism and it was, it was cool. It was great. I, looking back, I probably should have did broadcast. I think that would have been maybe a little bit more up my alley, but I was just so sold on like, I want to be a writer for a magazine, like to the end. Um, and then it turned out I didn't even follow that. <laughs> but my my school was good. Like I, um, like your first two years, you're you were paired with your um, just a regular advisor, and then your last two, or I think in my case three. I think the first year I was just with the regular university advisor, and then my last three I was paired with the faculty, and she was so helpful. Like. Oh man, she, it was amazing. Like she really helped me through, um, not just as like to help me with my writing, but just with life. <laughs> she helped me like with my resumes and talked to me about internship opportunities and things of that sort. So um, that was really, really, really helpful. But I did, I ended up um, finishing in the four years. Um, and then along the way, I picked up a Native American studies minor. So I took um, some classes covering that, and that was amazing too. So, yeah, I did it. That's I got awesome. a bachelor's of science in journalism. So, how did you learn about the trio programs? Um, I so I had mentioned earlier the Native American Student Services. We called it NAS at the time. They changed their name since then, but they had reached out to me like, "Hey, come on in, and if you need anything, like we're having an open house. Come and meet with us." And so NAS was housed under the same um, department as um, SSS TRIO, Student Support Services TRIO, and um, some of the other programs too. And I would go to Native American Student Services and they were all like in the same area. So I would go there and there was like students from all of the different programs. Some were in, were in multiple programs, but we were all kind of just together there. And um, I would really be involved with NAS. I would go through my program advisement there. Any events or things they had, I would go to that. And then um, I would get familiar with like the SSS TRIO staff and um, kind of knew like what students were in SSS TRIO. I remember that they would take this like really awesome camping trip. And I always wanted to like get involved, but uh, I just honestly, and just being totally transparent, I never felt welcomed. Like I didn't feel welcomed by their program. Mm. Um, and I know you shouldn't say that on a Let's Talk Trio podcast, but that was just my truth. Like I just, I didn't feel welcomed. And so I just, yeah, I just didn't really want to like look into that any further. Um, and I feel like they kind of already, they had like a 
like a certain population that they would recruit from. So I just, I never got involved with it. And I kind of just saw that program as like, yeah, maybe that's not for me. Not knowing too, like the qualifications um, that I had him. Mm-hmm. So that was like my first exposure to SSS trio or to trio, but I didn't know what trio was. I just thought that was like student support services, you know? Um, and then I remember hearing Upward Bound because when I started working on campus as a student worker, I remember trying to find like um, different job opportunities and I would see like Upward Bound tutor or Upward Bound mentor. And um, I would read the descriptions and kind of see like what they were needing. But um, I was just so involved with the Native American Student Services and then they had a multicultural student services that I was so involved with those programs that they would tell me like, hey, we're hiring, apply. So I just automatically applied and worked with their program. But since they're housed under the same department, I would work with um, with like student support services. And then sometimes I would work with Upward Bound, you know, to help on certain areas like volunteering and stuff. So that's kind of just being aware of the names, but I didn't know they were, were like related. I didn't know they were under the same umbrella. I just knew names. So that was like my first introduction to them. And mm-hmm. then when I um, when I left and like later on, a couple of years down the line during my grad school experience, um, I had to like apply for my first big girl job. <laughs> and um, I remember searching for doing like my job search and I would see Trio Students Port Services. And I thought, huh, they have one here at UNM. Because at that time, it's where I was at. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I remember that program. And I was a little hesitant, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I was reading through the, through the description. And I thought, wow, I did a lot of that when I worked with um, the Multicultural Student Center. Because they put on the same um, sort of similar programming for first-generation and low-income students. So I did a lot of mentoring. I did a lot of, like... Um, a lot of advising, um, like as a peer advisor. So that kind of aligned with what SSS Trio was looking for at the UNM main campus. So I thought, I think I have a good chance. So I just applied because I was like, I need a job. (laughs) So I had applied and um, I was offered the position as um, a program advisor. And yeah, and just like, it was just a totally different experience from what I had experienced as a college student with SSS TRIO program to um, the UNM TRIO program. It was just like a whole like night and day. And I just fell in love with it. Like it just consumed me <laughs> because I just, yeah, it was just amazing. It was such an amazing program. And then it caused me to kind of reflect back and think like if I would have just maybe like stepped outside my box and even though I didn't feel comfortable still like asked questions and maybe had found out like oh I do qualify for the program and applied what my experience would have been you know so could have should have would have (laughs) but um, I'm glad that I was able to find trio later on in life when I was ready to I think was important yeah, that's super important. I think to to realize when is a good time for you to come back to it. And and one that one thing, Brittany, I'm I'm very sorry that that was your experience. And yeah, I'm I'm so glad you were able to rediscover Trio and uh, redefine it for yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, all Trio programs are different too. I think we all have the same um, we have the same mission. We all have the same goals. 
um, from, you know, for the most part, everybody's working toward the same goal. But I think, it, yeah, it was just the environment. I think it was just as a first gen kid, just trying to figure out where you fit in, you know, yeah. so. Did did you learn about the uh, the UNM Gallup Tree Upward Bound program much in the same way? Did you just started looking for positions or were you thinking like the your advisor position was going to be kind of a permanent thing? Um, with the UNM, the, I'm sorry, the UNM, um, oh, your, your SSS position. Sorry. Oh, um, so I knew it was a full-time position. So at that point it was like my, it would, it would have been like my first full-time job because all mm-hmm. the other positions I had were like part-time or they were like a graduate assistant position. So, um, just, you know, reading the job description, for that, I knew it was going to be full time. I knew that I would do be doing advisement and programming, um, and just helping students, first year students. And I was very confident because I already had that experience as an undergraduate um, working with the Multicultural Student Center Star Program. So they were a summer program that worked were worked with first generation low income high school students um, from um, underrepresented populations. So. Um, when I had applied and interviewed, I was, it just felt like, I don't know, it's just very weird. It was just felt like a fit. Like I just knew (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I think this is where I'm going to be. And once I got hired on, I, yeah, it just, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I was, I was, don't want to sound cheesy, but like destined to do that. Yeah. I'm like, this is why it worked out the way it did. And it, I loved it. I loved working with our students. I, um, my, my supervisor, um, our director was Don Blue Sky Hill and she's just like an amazing trio champion. Like she's just overall amazing, not even just with trio, but just like outside of trio. And I really looked to her as like my mentor and leader and she's like taught me so much. So being able to come on board with her was great. And from then on, I was like, I'm going to do this as long as I can do this. Cause I, I, I love it. Right on, right on. Um, what do you enjoy most about this line of work that you do? Helping, helping students and being, being that, um, what's the phrase like that North star yeah. <laughs> or you know, just, yeah. just being that guide for them when maybe they feel scared and, or they feel intimidated or they're just not sure of themselves. Cause I, I see myself in every one of my students, whether it was with SSS or upward bound and, and just being a first gen low income student in general, like I know the types of situations that you can sometimes encounter and I desperately wish I had that when I was in high school. And for a while, it really would mess with me because I thought, like, where would I be if I had that? You know, if I had an upward bound program, where would I be if there was somebody to help me, like, figure out early on the importance of of looking at different colleges and understanding what a private liberal college is versus a public institution versus you know, uh, Ivy League school and FAFSA and financial aid and scholarships and all of that stuff. Like if I had somebody to explain that, I think, man, I, I would probably be the president of the United States. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, I think I would just, I don't know. I just think I would, 
I don't know where I would be, but I know there's a reason for everything. Um, and I'm, and I'm blessed for the experiences that I have had. And I know that the reason why I had that experience was so I could be here to help, um, other first-gen and low-income students who, um, just need help navigating. I just always want to be able to help and provide any guidance, whether it's having to deal with preparing for college or understanding, um, how to fill out a, a driver's license form or something, you know, right, like right. Just, just to be there to help. I, I want to, I just always want to be of service to my community. That's something that's very important to me. You briefly touched on mentors. Do you want to give an acknowledgements to the mentors that have uh, helped you through your college and uh, current career? Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of teachers in high school who were very, um, I mean, they, you know, didn't sit down and have the heartfelt talk about college, but just the teacher, you know, um, Miss Carson, like telling me you're good at writing and you have a face of a, of a newscaster. <laughs> you should be on the news. Like just giving that little spark to me. Um, I had a high school teacher named Miss 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 Bagodi, and she was my honors English teacher, and she same thing encouraged my writing and. I think just seeing the potential in me as a student, she was always trying to tell me like, apply for an Ivy League, apply for an Ivy League, like go see the world. Like she was just always there in my ear about it. And I was just so afraid, but she's like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. Um, so they really kind of helped me with the, with the start of it. Um, and then in college, man, I, I, don't know where I would have been um, at NAU if I didn't have the support and help from um, from Sharon Doctor. She was one my um, Native American Student Services advisor, and um, she was just so helpful. She would help me understand the processes with you know registering for classes and my financial aid, like she was like the one-stop shop. I would go to her and I'm like, I don't understand this with financial aid. And she'd be on the phone contacting somebody there to help me. She would tell me about different scholarships and employment opportunities. Um, I had another advisor named Daisy Purdy. She was amazing too, out of Native American Student Services. Um, they were just such a support system, a home away from home. They would have fry bread and mutton stew sometimes, and they say, "Hey, come on over. We're having fry bread and mutton stew." And I'd be like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, like I don't get to eat ramen tonight. <laughs> I get to have some food. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, just like having that home away from home there, and they're just were forever my 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 mentors. Um, and professionally now, I will collaborate with Sharon and her department now, and it's just like. It just gives me the warm fuzzies because I think like, wow, <laughs> I, like she was my Yoda, you know, at one point, And now I'm here helping students like how she helped me. And that makes me feel really good. Um, so, yeah, them at, at, at NAU and Mary Tolan was my faculty advisor. She was just amazing when I was um, a student with the School of Journalism um, and then venturing on into my grad school, Gene Henley, he was my, he's my advisor with my MPA program. And he was just amazing too. He always had, he's just such a busy person, but he really does care about students. And that's what I always picked up from all my mentors is like, they have that genuine 
care for students. And I always want my students to know that and feel that, that I truly do care about them and their success. And even when they feel they face their challenges, I want them to know that I'm there to help support in any way. And then um, Dawn, like I mentioned, Dawn Blue, Blue Sky Hill, like she's just an amazing person. And she's like my trio. I would say you're my trio mama because <laughs> she just took me in and really showed me what trio is and what it can do. And she just, she loves her students more than anyone that I know. And she does so much. And I just always look up to her always and forever. And um, also um, my partner in crime, Tanya, um, she was an advisor with me and she really helped me to get acclimated to trio life and (laughs) just learn so much with working with her. So she's just always amazing. And yeah. And um, I think lastly, my current supervisor, she was a trio director for many years out here in Gallup, Jamie McMahon. She's like my 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 current mentor, <laughs> even though she's my she's my boss. I look up to her and she's just such an amazing person, too. And she does so much and she really cares. So I think those are the shout outs for sure out of all the mentors in my life. And of course, family, my family, they're always there. And yeah. As we wrap up the podcast, do you have any advice for trio students or professionals that are listening to the podcast? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that I would tell you to do is to always use your voice and your mind and advocate for yourself. Whatever you want to do, I think it's really important to decide what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Um, and ask yourself, like, you know, who, who, who will this help? Who will this affect? How will this affect me? Like have those conversations with yourself, make time for yourself to, to do those reflections. And, and once you figure that out, you know, go forward and do it. I always tell my students all the time, you need to be an advocate for your own self. You need to use mm-hmm. your voice. You need to speak, speak up for yourself. And I think once you identify what you want in life, then do everything that you can, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody to, to, to make that happen for yourself. Um, we are the authors of our own lives and it's up to us to write our stories, you know, and we need to not play that secondary role. We need to take charge of what we want to do and um, do it. And so as a true professional, I would say, you know, be as creative as you can with your programming and with networking to help our students and to also share your stories, you know, with them too. So they understand where you come from. And with our students, you know, the sky's the limit. You just have to put in the work to, um, to realize those dreams that you have. Awesome. Brittany, it was wonderful having you on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. We definitely need to do this again and have a follow-up episode uh, for sure. Yeah, please, please, please. Absolutely. So we have a tradition at the Let's Talk Trio podcast is we typically have the guest uh, sign off. Could you do this? Uh, <laughs> do us the honor in signing off? Yes, it'd be my honor. Um, hi, my name is Brittany Tabor and I am the director of the Trio Upper Bound Program at the University of New Mexico Gallup. Go Lobos! 
And um, I just want to say thank you so much for this space and this opportunity to share my story and um, to also hopefully help um, students out there, trio professionals, with um, hopefully learning something from my story, the do's and the do nots. But I'm so happy to have this opportunity and, I, and I'm always here to help. Um, just search me up at UNM Gallup, um, Trio Upward Bound. My information will be there and I'm always happy to help and network. That's my favorite thing. But other than that, I just want to say, um, always keep in mind that Trio works because it really does. Fantastic. Brittany, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Juan. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. What a great interview with Brittany Tabor from the University of New Mexico Gallup Trio Upward Bound Program. She is the director of the Upward Bound Program there. Thank you, Brittany, for being on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Again, a huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario Riley, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. The honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast team are... Roderick Chambers, Scott Kendall, and Tony Ho. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio production, audio engineer, music composer, and editor. Amelia Castañeda, marketing manager, social media manager, producer, and script supervisor. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you on the next episode.